it's okay to take it small steps at a time. You know, I want them to celebrate when they get out of bed. I want them to celebrate when they brush their teeth, when they take a shower, and know that Jesus celebrates that too, that sometimes the best act of worship we have is just brushing our teeth. You know, I believe that the more you understand who God is, the less power your dark feelings or even your emotions will have over you. I want you to lean in and listen today as we draw closer to the Lord and find all the hope that we need in Him, in Christ our Savior. Welcome to the Significant Women Podcast. I'm your host, Bible teacher and author, Carol McLeod. I'm so glad you've joined us today because I'm going to be talking to an incredible woman by the name of Janita Pace. She's a licensed professional counselor and an author. And let me tell you, I wish I could spend time with her every single week. She's written a book titled The Healing Names of Jesus because Janita believes what I believe, that as we get to know who Jesus is, as we get to understand who God is, there is healing power in His wonderful name. The subtitle of her book is Find Freedom from Depression and anxiety. And as you know, I am all about that. This incredible resource, you must, you simply must buy a copy, not only for yourself, but for a friend who also struggles with anxiety and depression. It's going to help you because it will help you discover who Jesus is in the Word of God. So here's my new friend, Janita Pace. Well, I'm here with Janita Pace today, and um, Janita, I wanted to tell you that one day I got to go to Florida, and I got off the plane, and I thought, what? People get to live here? (laughs) Are you kidding? And you know what? You live in the balmy, sunny state of Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. For Star Wars fans, this feels like Planet Hoth. I mean, we, I'm sure that God looks down and says, I never meant for them to live there. It's just for the (laughs) ecosystem. (laughs) But we made a way. We're going to live here. So So what's your favorite winter sport? Oh, gosh. You know what? I just went mushing for the first time last weekend. I don't even know what that is. Oh, my gosh. It's it's sled dogs pulling you on a sled. It's, It's amazing. They do all the work and they love it. So and they go fast. So we had a great time. Could you like breathe? Was the air so cold you could still breathe? (laughs) You know, I think our lungs adapt. You know, it's it's one of those things that you start to kind of get used to, which is a strange thing to say. But yeah, and I had no idea that these dogs love it. I I was afraid I'd feel bad with dogs pulling me on a sled, but man, (laughs) they were happy and I was happy too. (laughs) Well, you have two sons, right? So you have to Mm -hmm. participate in all these boy adventures, I'm sure. Yeah. And you know, um, I don't know if you know what broomball is, but well, I've heard of it. it. Yeah. And you should just hear about it and not do it. I'm warning you now. <laughs> it's it's like hockey without ice skates. And I don't know who came up with that idea, but we do it here. And and I, why? I, I don't know why, but we do that too. So you play that with your boys? I used to, but now it's my body's probably better not doing that. <laughs> 
You're a better mother if you save your bone structure for cooking and laundry and things like that. Yeah, because I'm taking some nasty spills and I don't get up as quick as they do. So, (laughs) How old are your boys, Janita? I have one that's 15 and one that's uh, 18. Okay. So you're in the teenage years right now. Yes. And I love it. There, I mean, there's moments, but they're, it's just fun to be able to do more and more activities with them than when they were really little. But every age is great. Every age is great. Oh, it really is. It really is. I actually loved the teenage years. Mm -hmm. Um, I I loved the activity and the friends and the, uh, all the fun events we got to do. So yeah. But I mean, my house is like a college dorm. Like there's even a pull-up bar in my kitchen. I mean, I have boys with no shirts on, you know, like coming in sweaty from the gym, two kids that are doing pull-ups in my kitchen before bed. And, you know, I've got workout equipment everywhere. And um, I, I will look forward to Sunday not living in a big locker room, you know, Sunday. <laughs> you you will miss the smell, Janita. I can tell you right now, you will miss it. I promise. <laughs> I will probably have to call you at that point and walk through my, you know, need some therapy. So yeah, yeah I will give you sure. some therapy about that. Yeah. It's, it's heart-wrenching when your kids let Really, Janita, I've been through cancer, infertility, depression, wow. but the hardest thing I've walked through is having my kids leave home. Wow. Uh, how's that for a word of encouragement today? <laughs> <laughs> I look at it as you're preparing me, which is good. good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's right. really good. Yeah. You know, my oldest is at college this year and um, yeah, it is, it is a tough adjustment. I thought I was, I went into it pretty confident that I was going to be strong and it wasn't going to be a big deal, but ooh, it's it's an adjustment. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal. Which leads us to your story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you and I are soul sisters. We're yeah. kindred spirits because of some of the things that we face in our life. So Janita, um, tell us, tell us why you are the woman you are today and, mm-hmm. and how did you get here and how did the Lord sustain you? Yeah, this is a story written just from Jesus and um, it's been a 23-year journey. And so uh, 23 years ago, um, I was newly married. I was in Bible college and my husband was uh, a pastor at a small church and we were, you know, young and, and full of dreams and we were in ministry. And suddenly I just began to struggle with feeling really tired. And I began to have these really dark thoughts that I wasn't good enough. And I began to withdraw from people. And I started to notice these changes, but I I just, I thought for sure that it was just going to go away. I was going to just kind of overcome it. But as it went along, it got deeper and deeper. And it came to the point that I didn't want to leave my house and I didn't want to get up in the morning. And the more that I isolated from people, the more alone I felt, the more I felt like I was failing my church and my job and my family. Um, There was a deep lie that took root that they would be better without me. And I know that for people that haven't struggled, that might sound really hard to understand, but there's a point where when you're in the midst of a dark depression, things get upside down in your head. You're not thinking clearly anymore. I likened it to falling into a dark well and breaking both your arms on the way down and you you can't get out, but you don't want people to have to come in and get you. You know, you just don't want to be a burden to them. And my husband at the time, I mean, my husband is an amazing man, but he didn't understand depression at that time. And so he was trying to encourage me to just push through. And so I began to feel just a sense of despair. 
And I came to the point that I decided that I just wanted to end my life, that it would be better for my husband, it would be better for my family. And so I had decided that I would do that on a Wednesday night when he went to work. And so he left for church. And the minute he left, I kind of wrote out explanations about why I was going to end my life. And I had kind of everything ready. And um, he forgot something and he came home Mm -hmm. and he walked in on me attempting and you talk about a broken moment for us as a couple. I mean, he started crying and I was crying and even the dog was crying. I mean, it was just such an emotional moment. And he said, I have to take you to the hospital. And I didn't want to go. And I told, I was trying to explain to him, like, this is better for us. You don't understand. I'm too broken. And he took me to the hospital against my will, which was the right thing to do. And when I got there, you know, if you've ever been to a psychiatric hospital, it's just terrifying. I've been through a lot of things in my life, but I can say that's still one of the scariest things because you lose all of your rights. You, you're you checked in. Um, they take everything from you. And it's part of the process, obviously, to help you get healing. But I got into the hospital and they allowed me to have my Bible. That was the one thing wow. I could take with me. Wow. And so, and Tim checked me in and then I didn't have any contact with him. So I felt really isolated. And it was one of those times when you're just flipping through the Bible. You don't even know what to read. You know, you're just looking, looking, looking. And I stumbled on Psalm 121, which Psalm 121 talks about looking for Jesus, looking for help and that God watches over us while we sleep and he never leaves us and he doesn't sleep. So I read that Psalm I don't know, 10 times a day, over and over and over. And I was in the hospital for 10 days. And when I got out, I was so ashamed. And I had all these voicemails. And one of them was from a a Bible professor at our university. And it just said, hey, Janita, this is Steve Bradley. And I heard about your situation. And I just felt compelled to read you Psalm 121. I don't even know why. Yeah. And I just started crying. I mean, it's one of those moments where you don't know how the story goes, but you do see a sign that God hasn't left. And he insisted that I meet his wife, Pat, who had been through depression on the mission field. And I didn't want to meet anybody, but he was insistent. And Pat uh, came over well, like a loving force and just said, I understand this. I want to help take care of you. Lots of people were bringing books and trying to send, you know, theological notes about overcoming suffering. Pat understood that I was just too broken to even put ideas together. So she would help me get up in the morning when it was hard. And um, I couldn't read much because I couldn't think clearly. So she would tell me Bible stories. You know, she Mm -hmm. would make the Bible relatable to me, kind of like she was just infusing me with scripture in a way I could take it in. People were telling me things like, you just need to try harder. You just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And she would get angry and say, you don't have any bootstraps right now. So let us help pull you up. Mm. And she was just infusing me with the gospel Mm. constantly. And about two months, a few months into her mentoring me, um, Tim called me from work and said that she had died suddenly. Um, What? Yeah. she um, And I was just so broken 
and I was crying. And so I, I was so angry with God. Like you took my person, you know, you took my person. Right. Right. So I decided to go for a walk. I put my shoes on. I, I walked down to our mailbox. And when I opened it, there was a card she had mailed the day, the morning she died, before she died. And it just was this card that just said, uh, Janita, I'm going to write this down so you don't forget God's going to use this. Oh. And it was so amazing. I still cry about it. It was so amazing. It was like, I didn't know how the story was going to go, but it's like she had written me from heaven, like last word in Testament, like you, God will use us. I wish she was here today. She would, she was pretty feisty. She oh. would say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's saying that right now <laughs> because oh. I didn't believe her. And I would tell her, I don't have any hope. And she would always say to me, I will carry the hope for you. Mm. Um, that's what she would tell me. And that just stuck with me. So we decided to move home to my home to Minnesota. We were living in South Carolina at the time. And a therapist had said, you know, you need to get Janita around people that knew her before depression because they know this is not her. They can help her find her way back. So we moved home to Minnesota and I started an outpatient therapy program. I started medicine, like it, full-blown take-on depression approach. And in the process of doing therapy, I realized that even though these therapists weren't believers, mm -hmm. a lot of the things they were saying were in the Bible. Wow. And yeah, I realized that they were taking at it, you know, from, isn't this an amazing thing we discovered just, you know, years ago when I'm thinking oh. this is in the Bible. And I said to my therapist, hey, you know, I'm getting excited about this. I think I want to be a therapist someday. And he said, well, let's not get ahead of yourself. Like, that's a really nice idea. Uh -huh. But, you know, uh -huh. and uh, so I started to get stronger. And but there were still hard days. I mean, I still had um, two other uh, suicide attempts, even in the midst of going through that process. Really? And I think... I got better and better and stronger, but the process is so slow. It was just agonizingly slow. And, but once I started to see a lot of movement, um, we ended up moving back South. And in that process, I, I pursued um, becoming a therapist. And um, now that's what I do for a living. And it's been such an incredible journey, 23 years in, mm -hmm. but it's helped me get an understanding when I talk to someone, I know what it's like to be at that place where you literally don't see any hope. I mean, just you don't see any light and you're convinced that there's no way out. And now I want to be a pat, you know, that gets in the trenches, goes into the well yes. and, and encourages someone like, let us get you out. It, to me, the story that always goes, you know, I go back to is the story in the gospels where four friends, there's a story about four friends lowering their their paralytic friend before Jesus. They want to get him before Jesus. So they crawl up on a roof. They dig out the roof because he's surrounded by people and they lower him in. And I just try to tell people, it's like you're that paralytic. You know, you need people to lower you before Jesus. And that's okay that you need that. Right. And so it, it's been an amazing journey, but I definitely have to say it's it's been heartbreaking and hard at the same time. You know, Janita, you and I both know that there are different kinds of depression, mm -hmm. different types of depression, different triggers. Yeah. What was really the basis for yours? Was there an event? Was it trauma? What what type of depression invaded your soul? 
I look back and I think mine was really a culmination of things. I I had just gotten married and not that my husband caused depression, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not suggesting that, but I think it was huge transitions in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, being um, married, starting my first real job. So I had a lot of change. Then I think too, I had been through some trauma and on top of it, I had a prescription drug addiction and I was trying to quit it. And I think I miss, I didn't calculate how devastating it would be for me to try to go from using that as a coping mechanism to not having it anymore. Okay. And so I think I wasn't prepared to face life without a substance. And I was trying to do it secretly because I was ashamed. I think shame puts us in a box. Mm-hmm. So here I am alone trying to go, you know, get over this addiction, huge changes in my life. And then I do think mine was also biological with how quickly it happened. You know, Janita, one of my sayings in life, all my friends could tell you, Carol always says this, (laughs) don't waste your pain. Whatever your pain has been, use it as a springboard Mm -hmm. for ministry to help somebody else. Um, You know, I think about the scripture in Corinthians that says, we serve the God of all comfort who comforts Mm -hmm. us in our affliction so that we will comfort others. Yes. And that's what you have done. Um, and early on, you thought, oh, I could be a therapist. Um, we all know about endorphins and all those things. Mm-hmm. But at that moment of hope, when you said to your therapist, oh, I think I'd like to be a therapist. Did you feel something turn, change in you? Did, did you feel a new purpose? I did. And I think too, what I try to encourage people who are struggling and suffering is there are so many tools and resources. And once you start to have small victories, Mm. it's like an avalanche where you gain ground that maybe you can take this on with Jesus. The more you have moments where, you know, you depression shows up and you're, you're able to handle it, the more confidence you get that maybe, maybe this is going to be okay. And I still struggle today. I have I had a woman come up at one of my talks who said it's so great to meet someone who's overcome depression and I told her, well, I get I have good and bad news for you. <laughs> you know, the, I mean the 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 news is that I still struggle and I think I'll struggle till my life is over. Um, but I can take this with Jesus. I've learned skills and um I I have people that will help me. Um and so trying to help people not look forward to the day that it's over. They might have that, but you can still have a full life and take on depression. You can still be someone who follows Jesus and believes in the gospel and struggle. Those don't have to be separate. Yes. And of course, you and I, before we hop down, we're saying we're kindred (laughs) spirits. Like we get each other. And that's my story too. Have I overcome depression? Yes, I have. Am Mm. I victorious? Yes, I'm victorious in Christ. Does depression still taunt me? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> you know, it it bullies yeah. me. It knocks on my door. But now I know how to answer the door in a more yes. powerful way. That's a and, great And analogy. one of the ways is counseling. And, mm-hmm. you know, I through the years when a traumatic event has happened, like you, medication has helped me mm-hmm. get through the trauma. But it's really been my faith that's mm-hmm. been the bulwark, that's done the yeah. the grunt of the fighting for me. Um, so anyway, yes, amen. But yeah. now, 
Another thing we have in common is we were both pastor's wives when we were struggling with depression. <laughs> so how would how did that go for you? Oh, well, and I should ask you too. You know, I think we, at the time, we were in a church that did not understand mental illness. And when I was at the lowest point of my depression, our church sent elders and the pastor over to our house. And we thought they were coming to pray for us. And when they came, they wanted to know what sin maybe I had been struggling with that had triggered my depression. And so unfortunately, they came at it with, this is a spiritual deficit, and that's why you're depressed. And that was just heartbreaking for us. It felt so, it it just was so oppressive at that moment. And Tim just said, I I have to leave this church. I can't not have allies at my work who think that, you're depressed because you're you're not walking with Jesus. I mean, you can get depression and be with Jesus, you know? So we left that church and now we are at a church that we just really love and appreciate. But there is that constant voice that depression will use against me to say, there's no room for you to struggle because you are a pastor's wife and you need to be a model. And it's been so freeing to share openly that I have depression and I'm a pastor's wife. So I can live in the freedom that there's no shame in it. Mm -hmm. But yes, it does take some extra tweaking in your mind because there is this misconception that you have to have it all together if you're in ministry, which isn't Mm -hmm. true. No, it's not true. You know, Craig always says, that's Craig's my husband, the best part of ministry are people. The worst part of the Mm. ministry are people. (laughs) (laughs) That's I'm going to use that quote. Yes, (laughs) you know, and and what I just had to determine, Janita, is just go ahead and forgive people for the things they say before they say them. That I'm going to be a forgiver. Like I'm Mm -hmm. depressed and bitter. No, that's even worse. (laughs) Yes, Yes. I'm going to go ahead and forgive them for the things that they say because they don't understand. Yeah. Um, but also uh, fertility was part of your battle too. Isn't that correct? We had our first, yeah. So my first pregnancy was a disaster. And at the end, you know, we, thankfully Carter, my son was born and healthy, but I almost died in the process. And so after the fact, my doctors just said, you, you can't have more kids. This is just way too dangerous. There's too many things that went wrong. And so you know, we were young, we were in our twenties and that was devastating for us. And we decided that we really wanted to adopt. And that has been quite the journey. We had two adoptions, different times fall through for different reasons. And it's just, it, it, it breaks your heart. I mean, it just, it's so hard when you, and I think it's likely similar to a woman who loses, um, he has a miscarriage. I mean, you have this hope and dream and you feel like you're in the process and you've already kind of put it together in your mind and then it falls apart. And so after twice, we just said, I don't know if we can keep doing this. This is too hard. And it was just really miraculous. Our son, Matthew, was in the care of my aunt, who's a foster foster parent. And the minute I met him, I thought, that's my son. Mm-hmm. And she said, you can't talk like that. He's not up for adoption. He's in a reunification program with his mom. And for three years, I would see him and think, that's my kid. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband finally said, we have to stop thinking like this. Like, it's not going to be a reality. He's not for adoption. And we agreed that the only time we would revisit it is if we got a phone call that he was up for adoption. And about a month later, we got a phone call (laughs) that he was up for adoption. (laughs) And, um, and so we, you know, he was 13 at the time. 
mm-hmm. excuse me, 12. And uh, at that point, when they're that age, they can choose who they want to adopt them. So my aunt took him out for dinner and said, you know, Tim and Janita want to adopt you. And she said, the first thing he said was, I got to call my lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so he called his lawyer, you know, state appointed lawyer and said, this is who I want. And so. So had you been part of his life since he was a baby then? Did your aunt have him all those years? No, we met him when he was first uh, nine or 10. Yeah. So he was, he was an older child and um, he had no idea that we felt that way, obviously, Uh but we had seen him growing up those eight years and we just, yeah, we just wanted him so badly. Oh, I love that story, Janita. I just love it. Praise the Lord. What, What a great story. We'll get back to my conversation with Janita in just a minute. But first, I wanted to tell you about one of the most extraordinary events of the year that my ministry is involved in. It's the annual Carol McLeod Ministries Conference, and I know that you don't want to miss it. So let me ask you a question as I tell you about the theme of the conference. When was the last time that you were absolutely breathless in the presence of God? Are you longing for a renewed relationship with Jesus? Do you need the power of the Holy Spirit today? Do you need fresh fire in your faith? Well, that's what we will be studying at this annual event that this year we've titled Beyond Compare. It's May 5th and 6th, and it's in Buffalo, New York, at Life Church Buffalo, actually in West Seneca, a suburb of Buffalo. And if you can't join in person, hey, we'd love to have you join in person. We have women who come from all up and down the East Coast to this wonderful premier event. But if you can't come in person, there is the digital option for you. You can watch online that weekend, or if that weekend doesn't work for you, you can buy the digital conference download and watch any time that it is convenient for you. So go to my website, carolmccloudministries.com and choose the registration option that's best for you. If you want to be a VIP, you can do that. We have a luscious dinner together. You get premier seating, premier parking, and a bag full of goodies. Or if you just want to come as a participant, that's only $45. If you want the online version, you can get that for $35. And young adults, if you're in your teens or 20s, you can fully register for only $25 because we want young women there. So register on our website, carolmccloudministries.com, and register for this annual event. I can't wait to introduce you to who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit can be in your life. Now, let's listen in as I continue talking with Janita Pace. So let's um, talk to my friends who are listening today who are struggling with depression, with anxiety. Can you just coach us a little bit, Janita? Can you just give us some tips about how to do today? Mm. Yeah, there's so many things that I would love to tell listeners. One thing that I tell those that I'm working with that are just in the depths of it is that it's okay to take it small steps at a time. You know, 
I want them to celebrate when they get out of bed. I want them to celebrate when they brush their teeth, when they take a shower and know that Jesus celebrates that too, that sometimes the best act of worship we have is just brushing our teeth. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the act of worship is just getting out of the bed. And I think Satan and the enemy and depression will try to tell us that unless we're living, quote, productive lives, unless we're doing something, unless we're being good people, then we don't deserve to live. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. And I think the heart of the gospel is that Jesus paid for you. He loves you. He worked hard to get you. He won't leave you now. I mean, he he's excited about you. Mm-hmm. And I love all the passages that remind us that we are worthy. We can't even declare ourselves not worthy. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many aspects of that that I want my clients and I want the listeners to really feel is how excited God is about them. Because I think that cuts straight to the core of depression. You know, if you really can feel that the God of the universe is crazy about you, loves you, and just wants to be with you, then that fights against the lie that you aren't worthy to live or that you need to earn your right to stay alive. I think that's a real piece of depression. Yeah. Well, for my listeners today, if you have loved this interview and you would love more of Janita, Well, we've got a book for you. Uh, Janita has written a book titled, oh, and I love the title, Janita, um, The Healing Names of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about his healing names and why they're important, even in our mental health journeys. I wanted to write a book that I wished I would have had when I was first depressed. That was my goal. And I recognized that when I was in that place, I needed small nuggets of truth every day. Powerful, powerful nuggets of truth. And so each day in that book is a name of Jesus that brings to life something about him that you need to feel. Not just know, but you need to feel. So each day is a metaphor of something he is or something he feels about you. And then activities on what you can do to bring that to life to fight against depression. And so that is kind of the the overview of the book. But each name has become so precious to me for different reasons. And I just, I love the idea that God is so multidimensional. He so badly wants us to know him that he uses names. He uses metaphors in order to bring himself to life. So we can capture those and really get those in our spirit so we understand him more. And the more we understand him, the harder depression has to convince us that we are unworthy. So share with us just one of the names of Jesus that is just resonating with you today. Oh, there's so many good ones. My favorite overall is the Lion of Judah. That's probably Mm. my favorite in the whole book. And so I started studying lions and lions, male lions, their whole job in life is to protect the pride. Their whole life is to walk the borders of the territory and drive out any, any threats to the family. And they are humongous. They're fast. And they even have special eyes where they can see in the middle of the night. They can take in any light from the moon. And so that way they are able to fight off predators any hour of the day. And so I just, in my mind, will pray to the Lion of Judah to walk the borders of my mind and drive out any lies that are coming at me. Mm -hmm. And I know that he can do that, even the darkest lie. 
mm-hmm. and just trusting him that he will walk the borders. And so, and then I, I just love that picture when I'm scared of depression, when I'm, when I'm hurting that he has used a metaphor that, you know, male lions will, will die for their families. And I just love that picture that he's never off the clock. So to, you know, he's always, always available. And I just, I love that. Oh, I love that picture. I'll never forget that, that he's walking the borders, Mm -hmm. he's keeping away yeah. Predators and evil. Oh, I'll never forget that, Janita. You know, um, it's one thing for us as women to battle depression um, and to fight the good fight. But, Janita, I think one of the most heartbreaking things of all would be if one of our children mm-hmm. were battling depression or anxiety. So, can you bring some words of hope today to the mothers whose children are not in a good place? emotionally or mentally? I feel so for those women because, you know, whenever my children are hurting, I always wish it was me. I always wish I could just take it because there's this feeling of helplessness when you watch that. You know, my first thought is that Jesus completely understands your position because he also, you know, he loves every person who's struggling and the Holy Spirit is in, you know, in their life, feeling that pain. And even if they're not believers, Jesus is crying for them. So you have a God who unites with you in the pain of watching others struggle. And I think we see that when Jesus is at Lazarus's um, tomb, watching people cry and he starts crying. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still weeps because the pain of watching others hurt. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think Pat gave a perfect example of what people that are in the trenches need. And that is, they need to be reminded that it's okay. They need people to care for them. They need people to encourage them and to have an understanding that there's going to be days when the best a kid can do is get out of bed and brush their teeth. I mean, there's days when you need to celebrate the small things because we need them to have some victories. Um, we need them to have some days where they feel like it's okay. And I always encourage parents, if your child ever asks for a therapist, don't ask any questions, just get them signed up for therapy. They might not have the ability to tell you why at the moment, because I've had kids come to my office so often and say, I didn't want to scare my mom. Mm. I didn't want to scare my dad. Um, and so if your kid asks you for therapists, get them there first. And, and the therapist can help them navigate how to even verbalize what they're experiencing. And don't be afraid of medications. I have so many parents who are afraid that medication is going to harm their child since their child is still a child. But I can tell you that that could be such an important piece. And if your child is biologically struggling, they need that resource. I tell parents it's kind of like a car that's battery is dead. We just need to get it jump started before it can even go anywhere. And so allowing that process is super important. And I see parents struggle with that idea. Um, Janita, as you know, I, I speak and, and invite women up for prayer afterwards. And of course, it's just heartbreaking to hear some of the women's stories. And one woman who came forward struggling with depression, she said to me that the birthplace of her depression was that she had three abortions and she mm-hmm. could never get past the guilt. Um, and as you can imagine, the words that she used to describe what she had done were, were pretty horrific. And I mm-hmm. understood why the guilt was haunting her. What would you say to a person 
whose depression is birthed in guilt over a a mistake they made. Hmm. That is so hard. And the gospel is the power, not just for salvation, but for our lives today. And probably my favorite story is when Jesus is at dinner at a Pharisee's house. And during the dinner, you know, they're sitting out in the middle of the town, everybody's watching. And this precious woman who has just lived a whole life that she is ashamed of crawls to his feet and begins crying so hard that she's cleaning his feet and she's using her hair to towel off his feet and she's broken. And I love that Jesus turns away from the Pharisee to talk to her. He lifts her up and he says to everybody at the table, do you see this woman? And he tells her, because you've, you know, you've been forgiven so much, you love so much. And he tells her to go in peace and that she's forgiven. And I love that picture because it's literally Jesus sitting at a table, addressing her in front of everyone and proclaiming her innocent and actually proclaiming that she has the ability to love in ways that the rest of us don't. And so for women that are struggling because they feel, or anyone who's struggling because they feel like they are too dirty or they are too sinful, my whole passion is for them to understand that Jesus is so excited to forgive you and you have an ability to love in ways that maybe others can't even do. You have a depth that others can only wish they had. And so, yeah, my passion is to help people see that side of Jesus because that was his heartbeat, is to find the people who needed forgiveness the most. And he's so excited to forgive you. It's what he died to do. It's what he came to, you know, that was his mission in life. Mm -hmm. So he's excited to do it. Yeah. I love it. Well, in your journey with depression, I'm sure that it impacted your marriage, Janita. Let's talk mm -hmm. about that for a minute because here you were virtually newlyweds when it all came crashing down emotionally on you. Um, and although your husband did the best he could from what I understand, mm -hmm. I'm sure there were areas of your marriage that were just wounded and bruised. Did your marriage have to be healed for you to carry on? It definitely challenged our marriage. And, and Tim has actually done, my husband has done some great speaking on that too, how hard it is to be the caregiver. And I think one thing that Tim has shared and I have shared as well is it's such a difficult time when one of you has basically changed to the point that they're not recognizable at that time. And so it's a marriage that is trying to go through a period where one person just isn't really there. And so how do you process that? How do you walk through it while the person who is struggling with depression is trying to find themselves and the caregiver is trying to help every way mm -hmm. they can? Mm -hmm. And so we definitely went through periods and we still go through periods where it's hard because I do still struggle. And so having to have other resources, Tim having to have his own therapist to process how he's doing so he can show up for me. And me working through therapy, working to continue to be the person I really am, it takes a lot of work. But it is incredible how I think at the end of the day, our marriage actually has gotten stronger because we treat depression like a third person. Mm. And we treat it like we this is a common enemy that we are fighting together. Mm -hmm. And I think when we started to look at it that way, it actually drew us closer because mm -hmm. depression will try to get between you and your spouse for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Many marriages don't survive depression. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it does take a lot of work, a lot of prayer, a lot of understanding, a lot of communication. Yeah. Um, and as you said, therapy. So Janita, I love it that, um, in your approach this morning, you've shared so many scripture verses with us, but do you have a scripture verse that just belongs to you that you just feel like in the whole Bible, Jesus wrote this one verse and it's mine? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. There's so many. I think Psalm 121 is still precious to me Mm -hmm. because it came to me when I needed it most. And what I like the best about that Psalm and for me, is that the idea that Jesus is never even sleeping, that he stand, He tucks me in at night, he stands over my bed. Zephaniah is a beautiful, there's a beautiful passage in there that says God sings over us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I love that idea that God has written music about each of us. I imagine he has. And I imagine, you know, I think he wants us to experience what it's like to be parents because that's how he feels about us. And we yeah. sing to our children when they're sleeping. We sing yeah. lullabies over them. Yeah. And so Psalm 20, you know, 121 is just, it's still so precious to me mm-hmm. that my God never sleeps and he watches over me and it says that no harm befalls me because he's there. So yeah, that that's still my go-to. That's your one. So Janita, the name of my podcast is Significant Women. And so I always like to ask my new friends, who have been the significant women in your life? Like your mom, your grandma, a Sunday school teacher, somebody you read about in history, a woman in the Bible. What women have impacted Janita's life? Wow. I have been so blessed. I have so many. Obviously, Pat, because she rescued me and I only had like two months with her. So I really look forward to catching up with her someday. (laughs) My mother has been an encouragement. You know, when we moved home, My mom has never had depression, but man, she went on a war path to find out what is the best, you know, what are the best meds? How do we get her the help she needs? My mom has read, she's just worked hard to understand and been one of my biggest advocates. I have a wonderful mentor named Terry Hands, who is, um, she was a therapist and she has helped me understand the gospel in ways that I didn't even understand it. I met her right before I began writing this book and she read it along the way and just brought it to life more for me. And so those are the three women that come to mind right away. I mean, they're the ones that have just helped me along this journey. And I, like I said, I've been really, really blessed to have a number of amazing women in my life. Well, Janita, my guess is that you are someone else's significant woman. Mm. I can tell um, with your wisdom and your hope and um, with the words so richly planted in you that you are a significant woman in many people's lives. So thank you for being with us today. And before you go, would you pray for my listeners, especially those who are battling depression or anxiety? I would I would be honored to do that. Thank I would you. be honored to. Jesus, um, the great line of Judah, Father, the one who just loves each person that's listening, Spirit, the one that longs to walk with us, as a God, you care so deeply. You died for us. You worked hard to get to us and you won't leave now. And I pray for each person listening. I believe they're here for a reason. I prayed for them this morning. God, I pray that in this moment, they would feel you just coming alongside them, putting your arm around them and telling them I'm with you to the very end of the age. That's what you promised us. And so I pray for each woman. I pray for each person who's listening. 
God, I pray that they would be able to see you in a new way, to know that you love them. That never changes. And God, that this is a hard battle, but I pray for people to come around them, to support them. I pray for hope. And that if they don't have hope, that someone else would carry that hope for them so that they don't lose it. And Jesus, that they would feel the confidence to draw near to you, that regardless of what they've done, regardless of who they are, that your biggest desire is to be in relationship with them. And like I said, you will do anything to get that. So may they really live in the freedom of the gospel today, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Janita. I loved our conversation. Well, if you've been encouraged by today's episode, would you reach out and let us know? You can find us online at carolmccloudministries.com or on any of our social media channels. As always, don't forget to download our mobile app. Just go to your app store on your smartphone and do a search for Carol McLeod Ministries. Our app is free and it's a wonderful way to stay in touch with the ministry. Hey, I really do hope you'll order Janita's new book, The Healing Names of Jesus on Amazon or wherever great books are sold. Be sure to connect with Janita online at 3 riversmn.com and on her social media pages. You know, I love to end our time together by pointing you back to scripture because scripture is timeless. It's living and it is enduring. It's the love letter from our creator and in it we find all the peace we need. So today from the book of Isaiah chapter 26, God gives us incredible comfort in verse three, this is what it says. The steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. This scripture became life to me as I realized that maybe peace wasn't something I should pray for, but peace is a result of trusting the Lord. So when I lack peace, I realize I need to raise my trust levels. I need to declare, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you in all the unstable days of life. Jesus, I trust you with my family, with my finances, with my health. And when I declare my trust in him, his peace comes rolling in. Remember, my friend, you are significant because you've been made in the image of your creator and he's calling you to make a significant and eternal impact on this generation. I'll see you next time on the Significant Women Podcast.